everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Getting Close with Mike Marback podcast. I, of course, am Mike Marback. It has been a little while since the last podcast, the last one being the one with Greg Proops, the one and only Greg Proops. That one got a lot of attention, which was fantastic, because uh, I have it on my website, MikeMarback.com. That's right, folks, MikeMarback.com, for all your Mike Marback needs. Uh, I'm an idiot. Sorry for that. Uh, Yeah, the podcast got uh, lots of attention. Thousands of people visited my website that week, which is awesome. Uh, A lot of good feedback on the podcast, too. Even though it was kind of condensed, I would have liked to have had another hour or so. Um, People had some good things to say about it. People from across the country and the world, for that matter. Um, That podcast got retweeted many, many times and posted all around, uh, liked and shared and licked up and down. I don't know what that means. Um, It also got retweeted by several Who's Line alums, such as Wayne Brady and Colin Mockery of Whose Line Is It Anyway, um, which was pretty cool. It also got retweeted by Fred Willard of the new improv show and the newly canceled improv show, I might add. Trust us with your life. Um, The funny, quick funny story about that is uh, if you watch the news at all or listen to the news, um, get the news any way you can. I don't know how you get the news. I don't know you. I don't know your life. Um... Fred Willard was uh, charged, taken into custody. I don't know the exact uh, story. I should have read it myself. Anyway, um, he was charged with uh, lewd conduct for allegedly pleasuring himself in an adult movie theater. Now, I don't know what people are thinking uh, is going on there. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean... I, I don't see that being out of the ordinary. I, that's just me. Um, you know, if it was Dark Knight uh, or, you know, or, or any other mainstream film, sure. But, you know, I wouldn't really, even though that's, I'm sure that's inappropriate conduct for any time and place uh, in any theater. I don't know. Um, I would not be surprised if I was in a theater of that nature and saw that taking place. It just seems dumb that he would be arrested for that. And he's 72 years old. You know, I mean, let the let the guy do his thing. If they, he was, in fact, doing anything, I don't know. It's all allegedly. Uh, in any case, he retweeted my podcast with Greg Proops. Uh, and apparently it was the last tweet that he sent prior to his arrest. I don't know if he did it from the theater... I don't know the exact timing of all of this. All I know is that was the last thing. So when I saw that he was arrested, I quickly threw up an article on MikeMarbach.com for all your Mike Marbach needs uh, on my website. And uh, that led to a lot more people going to my site because uh, after he got arrested, a lot of people were going to his Twitter page and then seeing the last activity was a reply to me and then retweeting retweeting, retweeting um, my podcast with Greg Proops that I had sent him. So, yeah, that's a quick funny story and kind of gross at the same time. Um, This podcast kept getting put off. I apologize for the length of time. I've had it done for about a week and a half or so as far as uh, being recorded. Uh, Maybe even two weeks now. I don't know. I don't know how time works. Um, 
It is with uh, a guy who is connected, a uh, guy who's connected to the uh, Greg Proops podcast, uh, and that is uh, Doogie Horner. Doogie was in the room as I recorded the Greg Proops podcast, uh, the Proopcast, if you will, so to speak, as it were. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's how I, I, I kind of wanted to get him in there um, because I haven't really talked much to Doogie at all. We've we've met here and there a couple of times. We never really had a conversation. So why not have our first real conversation be a hour and a half chit-chat about his life? Uh, and it was. It was a real good chit-chat. Real good chit-chat as far as chit-chats go. Uh, real good time. Real good discussion. Uh, I'm very annoyed with myself. I'm just going to say that. I'm very annoyed with myself because in the recording, I'm now using my iPhone, my iPhone 4, not my 4S. I don't have a 4S. For you 4Ss out there, I have a 4. I'm using my iPhone 4, which is fantastic for, for these things. It's really opened up the possibilities of who I get to record with. I used to bring everybody back to my studio, and by studio, I mean bedroom. But now I can go anywhere the wind blows. Uh, that was the weirdest thing to say. Uh, there are plenty of other expressions I could have used. I could have gone anywhere, but I chose there. Anywho, it's... Uh, I can go anywhere with this uh, with this iPhone, so I'm using that, and during the recording process, I had gotten a text message or a phone call, and I went to go shut, shut it off, and I hit a wrong button. Didn't realize that I stopped recording for about 15 minutes or so, so there's 15 minutes, even though this podcast is about an hour and a half or so long, uh, there's still 15 minutes or so of it that were cut out because I'm an idiot, and uh, didn't realize that it had stopped recording, and it was a real good conversation uh, about how much Doogie... Um, likes Brian Regan and how Brian Regan is an influence on him and he went into this big thing about the renaissance uh, and um, uh, showing and not telling I don't know I can't even uh, go into it more so maybe I can get him to rehatch that conversation and then I'll add it in somehow at a later date as a uh, um, point five a version of this podcast. I don't know. I'm, that's probably never going to happen. All right, you know what? I'll just say it. It's not going to happen. But if you ever see him on the street, um, first of all, say hello. Introduce yourself. Tell him how much you enjoy his comedy. And then if he has time, ask him to explain his Renaissance-Regan correlation. And he'll probably not know what you're talking about. And you're out of luck. Either way, uh, Doogie Horner is on this podcast. And he is fantastic. I saw him open up for, for Greg Proops, and uh, I've seen him do stand-up at Hey Everybody, run by Aaron Herzog at Philly Improv Theater. And I've just heard his name mentioned a bazillion times since I've moved back to Philly. He's hysterical. He's really funny. Uh, and he had me laughing throughout this interview. And it was uh, just a really good time, really good uh, chance to get to know him and what kind of uh, goes into his writing process and performing process, what makes him tick as far as uh, hecklers go, a whole bunch of different things. We cover the whole shebang. It's probably the most stand-up-y of any of the Getting Close podcasts yet. So, yeah, I will leave it at that. Without further ado, I give you Getting Close with Doogie Horner. All right, well, uh... We are recording. I'm here with Mr. Doogie Horner. Hi. How are you? Good. Uh, 
thank you for uh, for doing the podcast, the Getting Close podcast. Sure thing, my pleasure. I know you're uh, you got a full time job, and you're well, you probably got f- two full time jobs, I guess, between comedy and and publishing, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I'm pretty busy. You know, like I work nine to five basically, and then I do stand up, and then I do other stuff too, like freelance design or writing, or whatever. Okay. Uh, have you listened to any of these before? No. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that concludes our, uh, <laughs> well, our time. <laughs> thanks for coming in. Uh, well, I go. I talk about a lot of things. I ask a lot of questions. I'm pretty curious, uh, and I always go back to the beginning with people. Uh, the beginning is uh, growing up. So, what was it like growing up as a as a young Doogie Horner? What kind of family life? What was family life like? Uh, you know, I got a mom and dad. And uh, yeah. it was pretty chill. I grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is like uh, the suburbs. Yeah. Uh, it's like an hour and a half north of here, and it was pretty chill, pretty normal. Steel City, right? Is that where, well, that's, Pittsburgh is Steel City, but Bethlehem Steel, that was, that was pretty big, right? Yeah, Bethlehem Steel used to be huge. Yeah. Um, Did you have any relatives that worked for them? No, all our family was in Maryland. Okay. Um, it's a nice town. It's not like a lot of, you know, like a lot of steel towns, like, the steel jobs go, and so then the town dries up, and it's like yeah. this weird, sad place. Like, Bethlehem's not like that. Like Billy Joel wrote a song about it. Yeah. Down down. And they're closing all the factories down. Yeah, Bethlehem's a little nicer than Allentown. Not that there's anything wrong with Allentown, but uh, Bethlehem's, like, slightly nicer. I went to school right around, uh, college right around there, uh, what is now the Sales University. Oh, yeah? It was Allentown College of St. Francis de Sales. Oh, cool. So I know, I know the area pretty well 10 years ago I still go back all the time and like my family still lives there and you know I go to get hot dogs Yakos hot dogs Yakos yeah I love Yakos Iacocca uh, the the TV studio at my college was the Iacocca studios he owned the Yakos hot dogs oh okay yeah I he, realized he, he was a patron was, of the arts yeah was, his name was Al Iacocca the brother of Lee Iacocca. Who's Lee Iacocca? Lee Iacocca. I, I know, I said it with the tone of, you should know this. <laughs> You're like, the? <laughs> Lee Iacocca may not be now, but he was for a very long time the chairman, CEO of Chrysler. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. I'd heard that name. Yeah. I was like, did he invent tapioca? <laughs> Is he a... Is he the kind of guy that, like, dudes put quotes on their wall about? It's not the size of the fight the dog, it's the big... Stick. Uh, what about brothers and sisters? Did you have any? Uh, yeah, I have a. Uh, uh, I had an older sister, and she passed away. She had leukemia. I don't know. Um, How old were you when that? Thanks happened? for bringing it up. <laughs> I, um, well, I think that's specific. I had a. Uh, I got a, and then I have a younger brother and a younger sister too. And my brother is twelve years younger than me, and my sister's. Ten or eight years. Okay. Uh, you get along with all of them. Pretty well? Yeah, they're great. Yeah. They they both still live in Bethlehem, and I get to see them a lot. And also, uh, are they into comedy at all? Also funny. No. People. No. Not at all. What are they What are they doing? <laughs> uh, my brother's going to college, and he's like, he's not sure what he wants to do. He's interested in like business or maybe like history. He likes comedy. Um, and then my sister is a mother. And she has a job, and you know, just chilling. Okay. Uh, what What was like? 
when did you kind of know that you wanted to do comedy? It, uh, I didn't. I just tried, I tried it, like, relatively late in the game, you know? Like, yeah. I've only been doing it for about five years, and I just I tried it, and I liked it. You've only been doing stand-up for five years? I think about, yeah, I don't really, I'm not, uh, I haven't been counting very officially, but I think about five years. Okay, well, what was happening that made you just get into it then? Uh, how old are you now? I'm 32. Okay. I think. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'll have my interns check your Okay, yeah, your yeah. Records. Guys, get on that. <laughs> yes, sir. Those guys are hard workers. Yeah. Uh, before that, I was doing, uh, I was playing a lot of table tennis. Okay. And uh, writing. I think I tried, I think I tried a bunch of writing before that. I what tried. kind of things are you writing? I wrote this screenplay about Santa Claus, this like high action like the thing about Santa Claus and the, all the different holidays and like the groundhog for and and it's called Permanent Christmas and there's this there's a big convoluted story. And then what else I wrote I wrote like a high octane version of the Nutcracker. They're mostly like holiday action movie mashups. And they played a lot of table tennis and I tried painting. Also I was painting and oh, I think I made oh I made a movie called In the Knit, The Making of Deep Weave, which is in, a mock... In, in the, the Knit, knit. The, the Making of Deep Weave. It was a mockumentary about this uh, these guys trying to make a movie about a guy who gets stuck in a sweater. I did that. And, uh, what kind of sweater? It's like a blue cable knit turtleneck. <laughs> and he's stuck in the sweater. Yeah, yeah, and it's about... But it's not about that. It's about these guys trying to make a movie. Okay. It's like the behind the scenes of... Okay. Deep Weave, gotcha. which is the movie they're making. Right. This movie's called In the Knit. Okay. The Making of Deep Weave. Got it. It's like Inception. But better. But better. Not <laughs> shitty. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're, you're doing a lot of writing. Um, the Santa Claus one, that's, that is real. That's not a bit, right? No, it's okay. real, yeah. Cause like, it was crazy, actually. So I've been working on this screenplay for like a year, and I ran into, um, I was at the Fringe Cabaret Bar, and I was talking to this girl, and um, I was talking to her about the screenplay, and she's like, she's like, oh, that, I've, 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 I wrote that already. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? She's like, I swear to God. She's like, I wrote this like high-octane Santa Claus story, and I was like, you're kidding me! And I didn't know if she was fucking with me or not. And then um, then I found out later she was an actress. So I was like, oh, she was acting. She was kid, She was fucking with me. And then, but I'm still actually, but then years later I met her again and now we're friends. And I was talking to her about it recently. And so for years, so for like a year I thought she was serious. Then I thought she was fucking with me. And now I found out she actually was serious. She really <laughs> did write the same thing. Which is not hard to believe because actually the Santa Claus 3 has a similar plot line. Yeah. The one yeah, with Jack yeah. Frost. Right, yeah. He was the antagonist in my screenplay also. Okay. So... Yeah, Jack Frost, for some reason, is the antagonist whenever he appears on screen, for the most part. Uh, yeah. Except for when, he, when I think, Michael Keaton became a snowman. But he wasn't really Jack Frost. When was Michael Keaton a snowman? Uh, there was a, there was, oh, there was I, a oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just remember Jack Frost. Anytime he appears on screen, it seems to be the asshole. He's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. All right. Typecast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... You're, you're, you're writing these different things, uh, but you're not doing any stand-up. What happened in there to make you want to get in front of people and start telling jokes? 
Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I just wanted to give it a shot. Like I, I really wanted to. Um, I tried a bunch of different art forms. Like I tried writing fiction out, and uh, I was not good at it. You know, it takes. I don't know about other people, but for me, it's it's taken me a long. I'm okay at it now, but it's just taken me a lot of years of mm-hmm. practice and stuff. Um, so You've, like, a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, so I wasn't good enough to write fiction. So I was writing fiction, but it was like awful, and I was like, I don't want to subject myself to reading my shitty writing anymore. So I was like, I don't. So want it was to do awful that. to you. Yeah. I well, it was okay, bad. so you didn't show it to people, and they were like, "This is awful." You you I judge sh- for yourself, and it's like, ah, it sucks. I showed it to some people, but one of the problems with writing is you have to like show it. Like I wrote a st- I've, uh, let's say I wrote a story, and then I hand it to you. I'm like, okay, read it. And I'll come back and talk to you tomorrow yeah and you talk to them you're like hey how'd you like it and they're like i didn't read I it and you're like okay that's fine no pressure no pressure <laughs> yeah. i'll just get back to you yes <laughs> again yeah um so like it's really hard you don't get to like connect with your audience and then i was doing visual art i was doing like painting um but painting's really hard because it's like okay so like i do a painting and then what like i hang it on a wall and what like i stand next to it and watch people look at it or like I, uh, you know or like i sell to you and now what, you put it on your wall? Like, I only have so much wall space. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have anywhere to put the paintings. So then I was like, oh, okay, I'll do illustration because you can make multiples of it. But again, like, you just, you can't connect with, there was no way to connect with people. Yeah. And you have to sit alone at your desk and do it. Yeah. Which you have to do with writing also, but I feel like with it, writing at least, it's such a powerful medium. Like, you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's easier to disseminate than visual art. Although that's changed a lot because at the time the internet wasn't quite as uh, a big a part of our lives as it is now. So actually right. now visual art's a lot easier to disseminate. But so I wanted an art form to express myself, but I didn't want one where I was like sitting alone, and I didn't want one where, you know, I didn't know whether or not people were paying attention to it or listening to it and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, so what appealed to me about stand up is like you get instant feedback. You're yeah. out with people. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. It's a, it's a it's a relatively malleable art form. It's pretty broad. Mm-hmm. What was your uh, first experience doing stand-up? I did the open mic at Helium. Okay. And how did it go that first time? It went fine. It went well. Uh, has your act... Do you still use any of those things that you told that first time? I used my... Op- the, the opener from that I used for a while. My opener was, um, oh, are there any optimists in the crowd? And you usually get a couple people, and I say, well, my jokes are going to disappoint you the most. That was my opener. And I, I told that joke for a while. Um, but then I realized, like, oh, that's a bad opener. <laughs> like, it was self-deprecating. Right. It was intentionally self-deprecating. But I, I realized after a while, like, I don't know if it's always a good idea to write off the bat. You do that because you want to lower the stakes. To uh, talk bad about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think I did it because I wanted to lower the stakes. I want okay. to tell people I'm shitty. Right. And then my thinking is like I've lowered the bar so far right. it's easier to jump over it. But I feel like that was sort of a cop out mm-hmm. to say that. You yeah. know what I mean? That doesn't mean you, you should like strut on stage like I'm king shit or fuck mountain. Right. But just like a act normal. Anyway, that's my approach now anyway. Yeah. So that's why I stopped. Uh, and that's not that bad. It wasn't that funny. And how did you make that decision? Uh, did, did you have anybody that you were kind of watching in comedy or uh, any kind of mentor that said, hey, kid, you know, <laughs> hold your side and that uh, open <laughs> No, I didn't, I didn't actually, I'm, uh, I didn't used to actually watch that much stand-up. I really wasn't too big into stand-up. 
Um, just recently, I've finally been like, okay, I've been doing stand-up for a while. I should probably watch more stand-up. Um, I mean, like, I, I used to, I saw a lot of stand-up because I was always at shows and stuff, and I would see live shows, but I hadn't, there were lots of people I, I had never heard, and so mm -hmm. now I'm finally just starting to, to listen to a lot of people that are important, but I had never listened to, I would never listened to Mike Birbiglia. Okay. Um, I'd never listened to Demetri Martin. Um, what else did I get recently? Oh, I'd never listened to Brian Regan before. Oh, he's great. You know what I mean? Very so, um, I think I was sort of not listening to people too much because I didn't want to be like influenced right. or yeah, you whatever. Your own guy. But I think it's it's important to be. I mean, obviously, you can learn so much. Yeah. There's a. Oh God, who the hell said it? Um, not Carlin. Maybe Hicks. Maybe Bill Hicks. Uh, another comedian said, "The more you you can be, the less competition you're going to have." Uh, so I guess um, what I'm saying is that it could be good that you mm -hmm. didn't watch so much stand up because you you, you kind of became your own comic. Okie dokie. Uh, where were we? Talking about oh the Kirby enthusiasm. Yes, you were talking about Kirby enthusiasm. Coffee table book. You never actually watched the show. No, I've seen it since then, but at the time, I was just like, ah, oh, this is a book, I'll read this. Um, and his, uh, he, oh, he was talking about how he tried stand-up, and he said, like, there was just an open mic, and uh, you got, like, five minutes, so he wrote five minutes of material, and, like, he went up, and he said, nobody, he's like, I didn't do so great, uh, so the next week I wrote five minutes, and I just went up and told him again, you know, a different five minutes, and it went, like, a little better, yeah. and I liked the simplicity of that, I was like, oh, that's that's really simple. Like, you just write it, and then you do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like film... Like, I when I made that movie with my friends, it was such a pain in the balls, because you gotta, like, all right, I need these actors, and you gotta get them to say the lines, and if you don't like the performance, then you need someone to hold the camera, and you need a sound guy, and then if it's not lit correctly, it's gonna look like shit, so, yeah. like, you need a good lighting guy, and I'm like, yeah. I don't have a good lighting guy, mm -hmm. and you're gonna need this, and I was just like, ugh. And then someone's gotta edit it, and... Yeah, and then even after you shoot it, you gotta do all this stuff, <laughs> yeah. and it costs, and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, with stand-up, it's like, wait a minute, I just write it, and I say it, and then if it sucks, I don't say it again, I just yeah. write something else, it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's beautiful. Um, so I, I just, just did that, I just, you know, started doing stand-up, and just kept doing it. Okay. Uh, when we were when I was recording with Greg Proops, you were in the uh, in the room there, mm -hmm. uh, and he had said that you you do open mics, you open, you feature, and then you headline. Mm -hmm. Where where are you in that uh, scale? I guess at the moment. Retirement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Packing it up. After headlining. Uh, <laughs> Feature probably okay. Most places I go, I feature. Like if it's a, if it's like a real club, like when you saw me with Greg, I featured for Greg. Okay. Um. So it, I mean, it depends on like the level of the show. You know, if it's a small show, I'll headline. If it's a show at a comedy club, mm. I'll feature. Uh, how is the the open mic at Helium? I haven't been to an open mic there. The only time I was actually there was uh, to do to see Greg and then do the. Is that? That's okay, I'm, I got it in the spar. Alright. Is that better? Yes. Alright. Uh, yeah, that was the only time that I was at Helium was to do that with, uh, record that podcast with Greg and see him. Um, why does that keep coming up?
sorry. Distractions. Uh, so, what is the open mic there like? Uh, it's pretty good. Is it made up of mostly comedians? Because I used to do, when I was doing stand-up in Chicago, it was mostly comedians, and it was a list of 50 people, and it was the worst thing ever. <laughs> so what, what, is the, what is the crowd like there? It varies. Like, when I started doing it at, at Helium, the crowd was really good, and then f for a little while it got really bad, and now it's starting to come back, and now sometimes it's great, sometimes it's okay. The quality of the crowd or the size of the crowd got bad? Or both? Uh, yeah, kind of both. It was really great at first, and then it kind of started to dip, and now it's coming back, and now it's better, but it depends. Sometimes do you still do the, the open mic? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, I'll do anything. <laughs> I'll do anything. Almost. Well, almost. I won't do anything. I'll do most shows. Okay. Uh, and I remember you had said that you had done Oregon with Greg. Yeah. Uh, wh where else have you have you done? And how do you go about getting those gigs? I've been to Portland a couple times. I've been to Austin. I've been to Bloomington. I've been to New York. Like New York, New Jersey, Delaware, uh, Tampa. Uh, I get gigs different ways. Like I know bookers or um, or people ask me to come. Okay. Uh, have you ever gotten any advice from anybody? Do you, like I mentioned before, like if you had like some sort of comic mentor, <laughs> is there anybody that's kind of you're just you just talk to about anything? No, not really. I mean, obviously, like, I talk to all my friends that are comics. We talk a lot and sure. stuff, but I don't I don't really have a mentor. I mean, I know some older comics, but it was, it was I was talking to, um, uh, a couple of years, like, a year or two ago, I was talking to Tom Wilson, you know, who plays Biff, Biff. and Back to yeah. the Future. Yep. It's very funny. I was like, I was like, I need to get an agent. Like, I want an agent. What's your advice? Like, do you think I need an agent, first of all? Is that even used at this stage of my career? Secondly, yeah. if so, how do I get one? Right. And he's like, I can't help you because... He's, he's like, I haven't had to look for an agent in 20 years. Butthead. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's and he's just like at such a different level than I am. He's yeah. like, he couldn't really. Yeah. Um, so I, I've talked to older comics before. And most of them, their advice has been like, just keep doing it and you'll just figure it out. Um, yeah. So that, that just kind of drives you, just keep doing open mics. Do you do any others around town? Uh, yeah, I'll do, um, uh, let's see, the Helium's got one, uh, the Ravens got one, uh, Laughs on Fairmount, Mary, Mary and Carolyn's, mm -hmm. that's tonight, Exchange has one, uh, there's lots, so Connie's you has one. Whenever you can do them, you do them? Yeah, if I feel like it, I, I, you know, if I'm not busy. Now, when you're, uh, when you're doing those, do you... Is it just to try things out, or do you do testing material? Yeah, if it's an open mic, I'm more like you know, it's I'm more likely to do new stuff. I try if it's like a if it's you know if it's a show people are paying for, I don't want to do new stuff. You know, like varies. It's like show where people are paying a lot of money. It's like okay, I'll yeah. do my best stuff or my old stuff. Yeah. It's like if it's you're not paying too much money, ah, okay, I'll maybe fuck around a little bit. And yeah. like if it's an open mic, then. The point of the open mic is to try new stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, if you're doing a show where you're trying some new things out, uh, do you throw it into uh, a part of the act uh, that 
is like maybe before or after something that you know will do well? Uh, that's nice. I mean, if I'm if it if I'm doing like a real show, then I'll do that. Then I'll sandwich new stuff between stuff that I know that does well. But usually, if I'm trying new stuff, I'm in an open mic and it's a casual atmosphere, and yeah. you usually don't have much time. If it's an open mic, you probably only have five minutes, so. I don't really worry about it too much, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And how often are you writing new material? I write most days. Every day you're writing something? Yeah, usually, like most days. I don't like sit, I just kind of write like whenever, like I just, I carry a notebook around and I just write whenever I feel like it or if I think of something. Like, just, a, a, like a hard pen and notebook yeah yeah i write i write in a notebook okay. um i i ask only because you know a lot of people have phones that they input everything into but i, I guess there's just something about actually writing something down mm -hmm. yeah I'll, I'll write by hand or sometimes i type if it's if it's a really difficult joke that's like longer that i'm trying to work out the wording on or if like I have an idea but I don't know what I want to say about it, then I'll type because I can write a lot quicker and I can mm -hmm. explore a bunch of ideas and sort of see. Um, and then also sometimes I, I have an audio recorder and I'll just say it out loud because for some reason when you say stuff, it just comes out, it, it obviously comes out different than the written word. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll write, on, I'll write on stage a little bit too. Which um, I used to not do as much, but I'm doing a little bit more. Right on, uh, you mean just, uh, like, improvise something? Well, I don't really improvise it. Like, I'll write it ahead of time, but then, like, I'll write it and I'll explore a lot of different options and stuff, and then keep that all in your head, but then when you go on stage, be sort of open and say it in the moment, see okay. how you say it, because you talk differently when you're talking right, to yeah. somebody. Um so I don't like just like make stuff up out of the blue. Right. I mean, sometimes that happens, I had never just never heard that uh, exp that that wording. I guess that expression writing right. writing on stage. So you just come up with a bunch of possibilities, mm -hmm. like a little word bank, and then you're up there and whatever feels right, and you kind of go down that road and pick and choose. Yeah, like if I'm not sure what to do about it, I'll okay. I'll just like I'll think about it a lot all week. I'll write a bunch of stuff, and then when I go on stage, I see. Typically, you you you. Like, if I'm trying to explain something to you, you usually choose the best words. You say it in the most succinct, conversational way possible. Right. But it's really hard to do that just, like, when you're by yourself. It's hard yeah. to think, okay, how would I say this if I was talking to somebody? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what is your... Oh, and if at any point you need to use the bathroom and you want to get some water, uh, just tell me and I can, I can oh, okay. pause. Um what is your your writing process? Is it just walking around with a, a notepad and you, something strikes you and you jot it down, or uh, do you have set time set aside for it? No, yeah, I just always have a notebook on me, so I'll write stuff in it if I think about it, or I'm usually like half the day I'm in front of a computer, so if I think of something, I'll type it, and then I usually have a bunch of like ideas brewing, like a couple a bunch of jokes that I'm working on that I'm trying mm -hmm. to work out, and so. Just throughout the day, if I have a little free time, I just think about it. I'm like, how would I do that? Yeah. Because <laughs> you have a lot of free time during the day at, like, different points, like just, you know, a minute, minute or two here, five minutes here and stuff. Yeah. So I just kind of, it's just like a thing to do when I'm just walking around doing other shit. What about uh, testing material 
material out in other ways. Uh, I know a lot of comedians will kind of throw things out on Twitter, mm-hmm. see what kind of a reaction it gets. Uh, do you do anything like that? I tweet, but I usually don't turn tweets into jokes. T- to me, it's I kind of use it as a different medium. How would you say you use it? I just sit down at Twitter and I just type stuff. <laughs> I just type whatever I feel. You just tweet. I don't know. I just sit. I, I like carpet. I don't I don't tweet throughout the day. I usually sit down maybe like 2 in the morning or something and I just like tweet carpet bomb like 20, <laughs> 20 tweets. And then I'm like, All right, I'm done. Yeah. That's prime time for uh, viewing tweets too. No, I know. I, was, I, never, I never tweet at a good time. Um, what about in conversation? Would you ever... Have, do you ever have a joke in mind you maybe never actually said, but then opportunity may arise through in conversation somehow, and you just kind of throw it out there? No, but a lot of times when I'm talking, when I th- when you're talking to people, I'll say a joke, but it wasn't meant to be a joke. Mm-hmm. Like you know how a lot of times you're talking and you just talk in something funny, you say something funny, but you didn't plan on it. Yeah, that happens a lot, and I'm like, oh, but then you, those usually don't work out because like they were funny because of contextually. Um, but I would never tell someone a joke. I would never test a joke on somebody, but not tell them that I was <laughs> testing a joke. Just hand them some money when the conversation's done, and thank you for your time. I would get called on it. People do that anyways. They're like, oh, Mr. Comedian, make it. Yeah. I was, like, no, I was just talking. I was just joking. I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to, what, are you testing material on me? <laughs> no, I was just saying. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Okay. You uh, did the, or do, the Ministry of Secret Jokes. Yes. Uh, what exactly is that? It's a comedy show. Um, we do it upstairs at Fergie's Pub. And um, I guess what's unusual about it is just the format. I just changed the format to make it, because Fergie's is like this really small room, and it gets really packed, and the crowd is like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just changed the format to make it a little more interactive for the crowd, um, mm-hmm. and a little more immediate, and, um, we have stand-ups, but then we also have games or, uh, different stuff. Okay. Uh, what kind of games? Still, like, oh, st- lots of questions. Student body election, <laughs> uh, we've done that before, where, like, the, we have two can- you know, candidates, and they give speeches, and the audience votes on who's student body president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, oh, we have a heckler game where you, you get heckled while you're performing. We have, uh, oh, the Ruby Hats of Death, where you have to do stand-up but based on prompts that you pull out of these buckets. Uh, we've done Yo Mama battles. <laughs> we've done rap battles. Um, oh, we did one where I interviewed an audience member. And then we had two comedians on the side, and they, they wrote down notes about the person. And then they and the person, they took the person downstairs, and they spent 15 minutes writing a set for them. Mm. And then they came back up, and the person performed stand-up for the first time ever based with, with those jokes that they had written wow. based on the interview. Um, so Pretty they're, hard. Yeah. So they're, they're like improvisational games, yeah. but it's uh, we have, like, one of the rules is, like, you always acknowledge the presence of the crowd. Like, we'll do sketch comedy or improv or stuff like that. Mm. I like doing that, but you always have to... You can never be like, well, here we are in a submarine. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's like, I feel like the space is too small. Like, you always have to acknowledge, like, we're in Fergie's. Yeah. You people are here. I know you can hear me. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Kennedy was telling me that there was a, a particular game that he would always win. Oh, yeah, Omniana. Yeah, what, what is that? Yeah, he was the champion for... I think he's he, he was the champion for the longest time. He was champion for like 12 months, I think, maybe. <laughs> he's really good. It's a role-playing debate game that this artist created, uh, this guy. And uh, Aaron Delamart. And... Um, it's a, it's a role-playing debate game, and it's this deck of character cards, and the characters are crazy, these really unusual characters. Um, and they all have weird weaknesses. And so it's like, you're a giant starfish, and your your hands can trace lasers in the air, and you have a jetpack with limited fuel. They always throw something in at the end, of, you know, like, you cry uncontrollably all the time, or whatever, you know, you're very sleepy. Um, and so the two people just debate who would win in a fight, and the audience has to decide... Uh, who debated uh, most uh, convincingly. And yeah, Brendan's really good at it. He was the champ for a long time, and he was finally beaten by uh, Mayo. And then Mayo was the champ for a long time, and then we went on summer hiatus. Uh, which we're currently in? We're currently in summer hiatus, yeah. Okay. Uh, any word on when that'll be back? Because I've yet to see one. I'd like to get there. I think we're going to come back in the fall. I haven't decided yet whether or not I'm going to come back. I put it on summer hiatus because I didn't want to say we were stopping the show because I knew it would be too sad and I didn't know if I'd be able to do it. So I put it on summer hiatus just because it, it, it was getting really hard to do the show because all my friends moved. Yeah. Um, most of my friends have moved to New York or LA or Chicago or they a lot of people stopped doing comedy or they had a kid yeah. or two. So... Um, Obviously, like, there's a lot of new people performing now, but I, just, I don't know them, and it's just a different vibe. Like, when we, yeah. when we started the show, it was like a party. Yeah. You know, like, we would all get together and have fun and also do the show, and then afterwards we'd stick around and party. Yeah. And now it's different. It's more like a show, which is fine. That's good, but um, I'm not as motivated to uh. <laughs> do it if it's not me hanging out with all my friends, you know? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, a lot of friends were kind of moving New York, L.A., Chicago. Is that something that you have thought about or are thinking about? I definitely thought about it. Yeah. Uh, we might do it someday. And we, you and your wife? My wife would probably want to come, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think we, we said that just yet, but you're married. Yes. How long have you been married? Uh, I think about two years. Okay. Uh, yeah. But we've been together for a long time. We, we met in college. Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, where would you, if you were, you both had decided it's, it's time to move, where would you move to and why? I'd be more like, I'd rather move to L.A. because I like the um, vibe a little more, it's a little more chill. Yeah. I kind of feel like my comedy fits in better at the West Coast because uh, I'm a little sillier mm -hmm. um, and not so in your face. You know, like, I watched a hobo die on the street, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I hate my life. You Is know? that East Coast comedy? Uh, it's a lot of East Coast comedy, yeah. I feel like, is, is kind of negative and uh, aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I, that's just the vibe I get f um, in New York. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, kind of aggressive. And yeah. So I prefer the West Coast. It's a little more chill, and the weather's nicer, and you get a little more space. Yeah. It's still really expensive, but you get a little more room mm -hmm. for your money. Yeah, I think uh, just I, from listening to all the podcasts that I've uh, listened to and uh, different things. It does seem like the people that are out there are are much more positive and just goofy mm -hmm. and silly or or weird at times. 
there's one particular club they all seem to perform at, and that's, what is it, Largo, I think? Uh-huh. There's a lot of good shows that, I guess, happen there. Uh, so L.A. would be the, the spot for you? I'd prefer to go to L.A., but I don't know if I'll ever move. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, what is keeping you here, aside from wife? I have a job I really like. I work at Quirk Books. I'm the art director, and I design books, and I like that a lot. Yeah. And, and you've written a couple books. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which I happen to have one. I happen to have one right here uh, called Dirty Jokes Every Man Should Know. Yeah, I mean, I barely wrote that. I don't know if that one counts as writing it. Um, um, did you just compile them? Yeah, like most of them are just old, dirty jokes that um, I edited and compiled and rewrote to make them a little smoother. And then I did write, there's a bunch of essays in there that I wrote on... Um, there are different genres of dirty joke, you know, like dirty lumberjack jokes or dirty pub jokes or uh, things like that, um, or sex jokes or blowjob jokes or whatever. So well, Willie Nelson jokes. Willie Nelson jokes, dirty Willie Nelson jokes. <laughs> uh, all of those were written by Chip Chantry. Yeah, so like I have Did a he, bunch. Of, he wrote all of them. Yeah, yeah. So I have a bunch of sections in there. Like I'll say, like these are all dirty lumberjack jokes or pope jokes or whatever, and act like you know there's genres of dirty jokes, and I write a short essay on them. Um, but then I also pretended that, like, Dirty Will and Nelson jokes was a genre, <laughs> uh, which, of course, is not. And yeah. so Chip wrote all the Dirty Will and Nelson jokes. Uh, I'm trying to find them right here at the moment. Uh, I don't know what page they're on. I can't find it. I mean, of course, the Chip's most famous uh, Will and Nelson joke is, what's the worst thing Will and Nelson can say while giving you a hand job? By the way, I'm not really Willie Nelson. <laughs> Because then it's just a red-headed stranger. Yeah. Um, but, right. so, I mean, that was more like a, just a, you know, uh, thing. And then I did the first timer's kit, which, again, was just, it was like 12,000 words. You know, it barely counts. But then everything explained through flowcharts, I wrote that, and that's a real book. Okay. Uh, I had heard that that got ripped off. Uh, somebody in Germany or something. Oh, yeah. Kind of... Stole some of the book or something? Yeah. I what happened there? Uh, two European, two separate European ad agencies stole mm. uh, my charts. And the one was in Germany and the one was in Sweden. And they, they translated the chart into German. <laughs> and I called them on it. I was like, that's my chart. Yeah. And they're like, yes. Yep. Yep, sure is. <laughs> yeah, we did. They they're like, sorry about that. But they, they're like, yep, we did that. And they're like, sorry. What, is the, what was the chart on? The one the Germans stole was things to say during sex, um, and they used it as an ad for something. And then I think the Swedes, can't remember if they stole that same one or a different one, and they used it as an ad for a chart book. It was like some publisher used it to advertise some other chart book. Wow. I'm like, if this guy's such a good chart yeah. maker, why didn't he make the chart for his own to advertise his own book? And how did you discover that? Two European companies used your shit. People emailed me. People, like, on the net were like, hey, these Germans took your thing. They got, like, Google alerts for flowchart They just, like, noticed. People just noticed it. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I, um, I couldn't really take legal action against them because they're in Europe. Yeah. And it's a, it would be a pain in the butt. And yeah. it just wouldn't, it wasn't worth it. Okay. Uh, so there's the, the Dirty Jokes book, the flowchart book, um... I also, what did I also hear? That you, you won something from Amazon? You were named a top-selling... Oh, no, I, got co I, won, I, I won cover of the year for uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Okay. 
which I designed. That's awesome. Yeah. I had no idea until the other day that you had done that. I did Pride of Prison Zombies. I did uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which was also a New York Times bestseller. It's a great book. Um, some others. <laughs> and some others. <laughs> and others. Do you, uh, do you ever get, to, uh, because you, you do publishing, do you ever get submissions uh, from people you know? Yeah. Um, I have gotten submissions from people I, I've known. We haven't done any of them. We don't do too many books, so it's, we, we do like 12 or 13 a season, so it's pretty um, pretty tight race. Uh, I've had friends... Is it, it's Quirk, right? Quirk books, yeah. yeah. I've had friends help me out before. Like, we did a book called uh, Yo Mama So Extraordinary, <laughs> which is a book of Yo Mama compliments. <laughs> and we needed to do... We had, like, no budget. Like, we always have very low budgets. And so I wanted to do a photo shoot where there were all these yo, these compliments, like Yo Mama jokes but compliments. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do a photo shoot where, like, we have all these guys with a mom... And they're all dressed like 1980s UMTV ramps. And, you know, like, the mom's got, like, a tray of cookies, and the guys are all like, what? You know, and, like, throwing, like, fake gang signs and stuff or splashing in the pool and, and things. Uh, so I, I asked a bunch of my friends if they'd be willing to do it. And so it was, it was uh, Jack Martin, Daryl Charles, Joey Doherty, Aaron Herzog. Um, I forget who else. I feel like some other people were in it. And we, like, dressed them all up in goofy clothes and did this photo shoot. Oh, Billy Bob was in it. Yeah. And uh, we shot it at, at Greg's parents' house. Greg let us shoot at his parents' house. Because, like, we needed, like, we had no money. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, we needed somewhere to shoot, and we needed people right. to be the models. And so we just, like, goofed around all day and shot it. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, if someone, maybe not in this room, uh, wanted to submit a book... Uh, idea. How would one person go about doing that? Well, we're a rare publisher in that we still accept unsolicited submissions. Most publishers won't. Um, but if you want to submit a book to Quirk, you can just send it. And uh, it goes into our slush pile. Slush? Slush. Our slush pile, which is tall. Um, and most of the stuff in the slush pile is not good, but every now and then we'll get something in the slush pile. We're like, holy shit, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, so you can just submit stuff. Okay. You, just, you just send it, email it, or mail it. Okay. Look us up online. All righty. Somebody out there might be doing that at some point soon. If you soon. got a million-dollar idea, send it. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, there was a... Before we get into that thing, there was a one... There's a, there's a quote that I always think of. I can't remember who said it. It might have been... Uh, Jack Benny or Bob Hope or one of the older guys uh, or maybe Mel Brooks I don't know, one of, one of the older people uh, a comic <laughs> is a guy who says funny things, a comedian is a guy who says things funny uh, which kind of goes back a little bit to what we were talking about uh, and hopefully it was still it had been recorded uh, about Brian Regan uh, mm -hmm. and the, the Dane Cook conversation um does it? Do you think that's true? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, first of all, I hate sayings like that where they're like, <laughs> I say this thing, now I say it backwards. <laughs> and it doesn't quite make sense, so it must be true. You know, it's like, uh, don't work harder, hard work yeah. 
Yeah. What? Hard. We're hard. Hard thing working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I assume what they're saying uh, is the, is that like some people are just like naturally funny. Right. Like anybody can tell a joke. Yeah. If I tell you a funny joke to tell and you tell it like yeah it's funny, but some people are just funny. Yeah. Naturally funny. Yeah. Um, Wait, what were we talking about? Uh, just the, <laughs> if that 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 saying, if you felt that it was uh, it was it was true at all, which doesn't sound like you do. <laughs> if you're naturally funny, obviously that's a huge advantage. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you can't be a professional comedian unless you're naturally funny. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh, What's the difference between a comic and a comedian? Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. Like in that in that saying. Uh, well, in that saying, the comic is the guy who says funny things. <laughs> right, right. And now I'm just using the saying itself as the definition. So he's a shitty comic. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we, I don't think we brought this up, but were you funny in school? No, I was very not funny. Yeah? Oh, I was, I was a little funny. I was slightly funny. Not particularly. <laughs> I just smart mouth. Okay. So you're the... Bit of a wise ass. I was Did you get in trouble a lot? Yeah, I got in trouble a lot, and I got beat up a lot. I was extremely unpopular, and I got like pushed around. A Wait, lot. you were a wise ass who got beat up, or is that why you got beat up? Oh yeah, because I wasn't a wise ass to teachers or anything. I was I was a really serious student. Okay. I, I loved school. Uh, I loved reading. I loved like learning, homework. I was a uh, really dedicated student and stuff like that. And I was, uh, but it was very unusual. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got picked on, but that, then I had a smart mouth, so like somebody would pick on me, and I'd be yeah. like, "Go fuck yourself." <laughs> and then, but I didn't have anything to back it up. I wasn't yeah. tough or brave or anything. I just couldn't stop myself, you know. They'd be like, "What's your problem?" I'd be like, "You, obviously, you're yelling at me. Are you kidding? Seriously?" <laughs> and, then they, and then they're hitting me. It escalated from there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are what were you picked on or, or beat up for? Or was, what led was, to that? I was weird. I was like a weird kid. I was very, um, it took me years to learn how to, um, I'm not a naturally social person. I'm, I'm like very, I don't know how to talk to people. I do now. Yeah. I'm better now because like I've just learned. Yeah. But I just wasn't like a naturally social person and I was awkward and mm -hmm. nerdy and unusual. Did you have a lot of friends? No. and I mean no. none. Oh, wow. <laughs> what were you doing with your time? Just playing video games or something? Well, at what age? Oh. Elementary well, school? Elementary school, I would uh, draw. I would just draw and read and watch TV mm -hmm. and play with Legos. Okay. What about uh, high school age? Cry. <laughs> by high school, I started to get normal. Junior high was tough, but I think started to, by the beginning of high school, I finally started to, like, learn how to get along with people and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time alone, just doing whatever. You feel that that has influenced uh, your comedy at all? I'm not sure exactly how it would. It uh, I think it was kind of good because uh, I think one of the biggest roadblocks to comedy is when people don't laugh at you. You know, when you tell a joke and they don't laugh, that's um, it's really psychologically damaging. A whole room full of people yeah. uh, giving you negative body language or negative feedback, saying you're not funny, 
looking at you like, I hate you, you're wasting my time, I don't like you. Sometimes, you know, and it's rare, people will even yell out insults at you, make fun of you, publicly embarrass you. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest roadblocks is you don't want to be publicly embarrassed. But I had been publicly embarrassed so many times yeah. already yeah. that it's sort of, I was like, oh, all right, I'm used to it, and I know you, it's, you're not going to die from it. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of, uh, I was used to it. And so it was kind of good because... I wasn't as afraid of being embarrassed or yeah. telling a joke that people don't like or whatever, you know. I mean, yeah. I was like, oh, if you don't like it, fine. I mean, you know, so, no. I th this gets uh, a little more deep in a way, I guess. Um, but you, if, if you're picked on, you spend a lot of time alone, you don't have many friends, mm -hmm. you went into comedy. Uh, other people, under those circumstances, do terrible things. What do you think? Why do, why do you think? Like comedy? Comedy's <laughs> not a terrible thing. What's worse? <laughs> oh. Uh, I don't know. Some people kind of do bad things in society. Um, you know, whether it's shoot a place up or um, just start doing drugs. Uh huh. Uh, you know, whatever. What, what, what do you think made you just go down the, the comedy road? Well, like I said, I didn't start doing comedy until I was yeah. uh, older. Right. So, like, when I was young, I, I, I didn't use comedy as, a, as an escape. Like, by the time I started doing comedy, I was a relatively well-adjusted, normal mm -hmm. guy with friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I never, I never did drugs or uh, shot anybody. Yeah, that's good. You asking me why I didn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Uh, who's on the hit list? I didn't feel like doing drugs, I don't know. Yeah. I, I still have never tried any. I feel like I'm too old at this point. I, I'm like, what's the point? Is it... Because I'm not in the too much into the very much involved in the stand-up culture in Philly. Oh, I was hoping you were going to the drug scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I dip my toe in now and then, but uh, really, I, I don't do enough. <laughs> Let me say that. Uh, it is, is it present in stand-up? Maybe. It, I don't think so. Okay. It might be. It, it, it could be, and I wouldn't know. I'm not like... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the type of guy you invite into the back room like, hey, you want a bump? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't think, I don't think there's too... What I mean, are you guys doing with all that sugar? I mean, I think people do normal drugs like weed. I, yeah. I don't count weed as a drug. I mean, I, I count it as a drug, but it's not... I mean, it's a normal thing to do. You're saying you're pro-legalization? Uh, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> um, yeah, it seems like it wouldn't be a bad thing. Okay. Uh, it certainly seems like a less dangerous substance than alcohol mm. um, but yeah I don't think anybody does coke and they probably do yeah. I don't know I would feel silly doing coke in Philly you know it's like if you're in New York and like you're like yeah I'm hitting all the clubs and I'm like doing the cellar and then I'm doing this and stuff yeah. like, give me like, but like you're in Philly like what are you doing cocaine for yeah. like there's nothing it's not that kind of town the hot set of the Raven Lounge yeah it's not that kind of town <laughs> alright uh, getting back to a thing a little bit before where you're talking about having been embarrassed so much in front of a crowd. Mm. Um, just reminded me of one of the things I want to start doing on this is a, a little segment I like to call Would You Rather. Uh, would you rather perform in front of a packed house and bomb or perform in front of six people and kill? Oh, I, th I think every comedian would rather kill in front of six yeah. people. I'd rather kill in front of my mirror <laughs> rather than bomb. What's the point of bombing? I mean, I've had some fun bombs. There's sometimes yeah. you bomb and it's, it's fun. It's all right. If, you know. what, is, what was one of your favorite bombs then? 
I did a hoagie shop. A hoagie shop. One time I did a hoagie shop and then nobody liked me. Um, but I didn't care because it's a hoagie shop. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was sort of fun. Like, if you're bombing but you don't care about the show, yeah. then it's not so bad. because Then you can just fuck it. You just hold the crowd hostage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> basically. Uh, what about uh, getting heckled? How do you deal with that? I try to be nice. I try to be as nice as possible. A lot of times when someone heckles you, um, they're not trying to be rude. I think I'll, the majority of the time, they're not trying to be rude. Like they just, they're just oblivious. You know, sometimes they just don't realize how loud. It, there's different types of heckles. The the, the 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 most common thing is like someone just like talking a little too loudly at their table, right. and they don't realize how well you can hear them. Yeah. And so if you call it, if you usually if you just mention it, they'll be like, oh, sorry, and stop. Um, then it's where then then uh, the next level is like everybody's talking. It's not just one table, it's the whole room. Yeah. They're just like, just a little murmuring and stuff. Like, that's a little harder because it's like, oh, you don't have the crowd on your side or anything, you know? And then once again, you you can mention it, um, but like if everybody's talking, it's probably like, well, it's probably because they don't like you or you're not holding their attention. So it's sort of your fault. Um, you still need to mention it and, and try to get them to be quiet because um, obviously you can't do well if they're not listening. Right. Um... Then there's if somebody yells something out and they're trying to be rude. Or, okay, now the next would be somebody yells something out but they're not trying to be rude. You know, they'll be like, yeah. so I, uh, I got some Chinese food the other day and you're in the crowd. Yes. I love Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just had it last night. I love that shit. Oh, <laughs> fuck. My girlfriend's Chinese. And you're not trying to be rude, but you're just in the, you're enjoying yourself and you're yeah. drunk and you're like, I love life. Um... <laughs> And then once again, usually if you just point out like 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 I know this seems like a conversation, but it's not. Everybody can hear. You know, I can't talk to you. Um, they'll usually be like, "Oh, sorry. <laughs> what can I say? I'm an extrovert." Um, then there's the next level up where like they know it's rude, but they're doing it because they want attention. Right. They want to be part of the show. Those people, you have to be a little harsher on because they know they're being rude. They know they're disrupting the show, and they don't care. But I think at the same time, the, their purpose is not to embarrass you or be malicious. Their purpose is they want attention. Yeah. So you have to embarrass that person <laughs> quite a bit to get them to be quiet. Um, and then the, 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 the highest level the, the, is someone like just, just being rude that just hates you. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. get off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> just the person that's like, you're not funny. Get off the stage. You suck. And those are the people where it's like, okay, I'm to just go ahead and be rude to them. Like, they're being as rude to you as possible. So say whatever you want. Do you have any kind of preloaded uh, comebacks or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I have a few. Like, if I'm doing bad, I'll say... Um, I have various, like, levels. Like, if I'm doing poorly... If I'm just like kind of doing poorly, like nobody's really heckling me, I'll, I'll say something kind of like maybe lightly self-deprecating, like uh, uh, I am killing it and it is my career or something, you know? Or like if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me that I was their favorite comedian, I'd have three cents. Just something lightly acknowledged, like I understand you don't like me. Yeah. Um, but as far as like, like if someone says you suck, I go like not as much as your mom sucks my dick, ha! You know, like I don't have any, I don't really have any preloaded stuff like that. Yeah. Um, cause usually it's, 
you rarely get someone like saying you suck. Have you ever done a show that went very poorly that you left and you just couldn't shake it off? Uh, something like a show where you actually care. Like if you were performing at the hoagie shop, right. uh, like you said, you know, it's a hoagie shop. But if, have, you, have you done a show where it just didn't go well, you go home and you're like, oh, fuck. Come on, I, guys. One of the worst shows I've had, it was maybe the worst show I've had was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is my wife's hometown. It flooded there, long ago. What's that? It flooded long ago. That was my opener. I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, I said something about like, the. I was like, nice to be here at the, the site of the great Johnstown flood. Personally, I didn't think it was all that great. <laughs> it was awful. It was an awful show. Too soon. Yeah, really. It's been hundreds of years. Um, I'm anti-flood. I was saying I didn't think it was that great. I'm anti. I'm opposed to the flood. Um, it was really horrible. They hated me, and I hated them. Touchy Honest subject. What's that? It's a touchy subject. That was, that wasn't even the problem. That wasn't even it wasn't even the flood joke. It was just me. They just didn't like me. Yeah. I mean, it was just not my crowd. Yeah. It was not my crowd, but I learned something from that, which was that, like, I was waiting to go on, and I could tell this is not my crowd. These people are going to hate me. Mm. I hate these people. I decided that before I went even, even went on stage, and I think when you go on stage with that in your mind, they can see it on your face, and they take a cue from it. They're like, oh, we're supposed to hate him. He thinks we hate him. I guess we're supposed to hate him. Mm. And you get, like, very defensive. And I think sometimes if you go on stage and you're really open... They're actually less likely to give you a hard time because they're like, oh, this this guy thinks we're going to like him. Or he's like being very open. I don't yeah. want to dash his hopes. Or at yeah. least I'm not going to do it quite so harshly. As, yeah. uh, you know. I can absolutely see that. I mean, just from doing a lot of improv and teaching a lot, that's what I tell any team that I coach is when you're on there, look like you're having a good time. Because if you're not, the crowd's gonna the crowd's not going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you if you get, get done a show, take a bow and look like you just had the best show you've ever done, even if you thought it was shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you've got people paying to see you. They don't want to see the look of, wow, that was I just took a shit on stage. Uh, so, yeah, I think that your facial expressions absolutely can influence mm-hmm. the, the crowds in front of you. Now, now, I disagree as far as stand-up goes. I would say, I'm saying go try to go on stage with a positive attitude right. and wait and see, and then if things turn bad, then you're like, okay. <laughs> But don't assume right off the bat this is going to be gotcha. horrible, okay. even if you know what it is. Yeah. But like, if things go horrible, then yeah, go ahead. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of like saying like this is the worst show I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. I'll go ahead and say that. Yeah. I don't mind that. <laughs> I told him I said I'm going to burn your town. I was like, before I leave here tonight, I'm going to burn your town to the ground. And you know what? Nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to fucking notice that this shitty town was wiped off the face of the map. Wow. Um, yeah, it was horrible. It was really bad. And her parents were there. And I did like, I did a lot of, t- I did like a half hour, 40 minutes. It was really bad. And it was bad for the entire... Yeah, wow. yeah. How, how soon into the, well, I guess it was the opener, immediately. right? Immediately, it was yeah. immediately bad. Wow. Mm. Uh, well, speaking of uh, getting heckled, you did America's Got Talent. Yeah. That's a not bad segue, right? Uh, you did America's Got Talent, uh, what was that, two years ago now? A year and a half ago? I think it was two years ago, yeah. Yeah, just about two years ago. Uh, you did some stand-up, and very quickly, yes, the crowd was against you. Can you talk about that at Immediately. all? Immediately. Yeah, I went out, and um, they booed me two jokes in, and I was really surprised. I was like, really? I was like, that was fast. <laughs> and I mean, they'd been there all night. They were ready. You know what I mean? There's a, I was like the 
not sure how many performers went before me, but quite a few. And mm. so they had it down to a science. They're like, no, no, you know, yeah. like, we want to go home. Um, and then they tell you ahead of time, they're like, okay, like you, they, they, the, the three judges. And if you get one X, keep going. Mm -hmm. If you get two, I think you can actually keep going too. I think, I think you only have to stop if you get three. Okay. Um, so they're like, if you get an X, keep going. Like a buzzer will go off, but ignore it. Keep going. But they didn't tell me... They didn't tell you it was going to be like an ear-shattering klaxon. Like, the buzzer is loud. And so they're like, if you hear the buzzer, just keep going. So I'm in the middle of the joke, and the buzzer goes off, and it's loud. I went, holy shit, I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> I had to believe it out. And everybody's, half the crowd's booing me. My set's been ruined. I mean, it was ruined already. Yeah. And so I just said, you're terrible people. <laughs> yeah. You're terrible people. And then all of a sudden, everybody was booing me, and I was like, yeah. look. I waited a long time to get up here. I came all the way to New I'm not leaving. You don't like me? I don't like you. Yeah. You have an opinion about me? Let me tell you what I think about you people. You're awful people. You're small, petty, fuck, piece of... Um, and I just, I was like, I have nothing to lose. I was like, I'm, this is as bad as it gets. I have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. Might as well tell you what I think of you. Yeah. Uh, it was great. It was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and at least on TV... You can kind of see a lot of the people in the crowd start to turn, turn, turn around. They started to, to you. turn after I started screaming at them for a little bit. They're like, "Yeah, like put us in our place, <laughs> really." People strangely sort of respond to that yeah. when when someone's like, "Fuck you," and you go, "No, fuck you." And they're like, "All right, okay, okay, man, I respect that." You didn't see any of the other previous stand-ups. Uh, I was backstage with everybody. We were all backstage, so I was talking to people, and so I sort of knew what, or I could see people rehearsing, which that's that's the best part about that show. It's just like all the crazy people just yeah. watching the contortionist yeah. and the magicians <laughs> warm up. You're just like, this is great. This is so funny. Uh, but I yeah I didn't uh, I got to see the one act that was right before me with there were three Sarah Palin tap dancing Sarah Palin impersonators and they like shot a bear I got to see their act and they didn't do too well like, oh, this mm. reminds me of the years ago during the OJ trial Leno would have on the like the dancing Edos oh yeah yeah uh, so you didn't see any of the, the stand ups uh, as they were performing like I, mean, I just imagine no. them kind of performing and then coming backstage and be like Oh, man, it's fucking rough out there. No, after you performed, you didn't get to go back down to the, the room where the rest of us were. Mm. But, like, you could hear the crowd up there. I could hear certain things. Like, there was this guy playing all the harmonicas. All um, the harmonicas? Oh, he had, uh, he was this Asian guy. I forget his name. Uh, we became friends in Vegas. He was a really nice guy. But he went up, and he goes, uh, they're like, okay, so uh, what are you going to do for us? And he goes, I'm going to play a harmonica. They go, oh, okay. And then he goes, oh. Wait, I'm going to play a two harmonics. He pulls out another. They go, oh okay. He goes, oh no, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to play. And they're like, look, why don't you just tell us how many harmonicas you have? And he goes, six. <laughs> and he played six harmonicas. I mean, this giant harmonica sandwich. Wow. And I could hear him playing hard. Like we were underneath the, um, the stage, and you could hear him playing harmonica, and the crowd going apeshit, just like. <laughs> Oh man, what's going on up there? For harmonicas. Uh, did anything uh, good come from doing that show? And by that I mean, like, did you any get any contacts uh, for other jobs, or did anybody contact you to do anything? I didn't get much. I got, I got, a, I got like some people that contacted me about stuff, but like it wasn't stuff I was really like interested in. 
Um, like, it was a really big deal, obviously. Like, like, first of all, like, it was huge. Like, I got recognized everywhere I went yeah. for months uh, afterwards, and it was, like, insane. Um, but as far as, like, the type of opportunities I wanted to get, like, that show as a big viewership, but not in, like, my demographic. Yeah. And the people I want to impress, the, the route I want to go down in stand-up comedy is sort of like the alternative road, and none of those people like that show or watch that show. It has no cachet with them. Right. You know, it's like being a stand-up comedian on Cupcake Wars. You know what I mean? Like, that show gets no respect in the stand-up community among stand-ups that I want to impress. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a magician and on your sh you're on that show, you're set. If you're a singer and you're on that show you're set. But if you're a comedian on that show, unless you're like a very mainstream hacky comedian, which, which I, you know, I'm sorry to say that, you know, I that right. make a value judgment on, in that like, I'm not hacky, these guys are hacky. But you know what I mean? Like a mainstream comedian, um, which I'm not really. Um, and then also, like, the, the one, th I could have done some things, like I could have like, use it as an opportunity to like headline some places mm -hmm. but I really wasn't ready to be a headliner at that point I was only three years in yeah I feel like right now I'm barely a headliner um, what makes you is it just the act and your comfortability on stage that you say you're you're not ready you weren't ready then or uh, what makes you yeah like you say you're barely ready now but what what is ready I think it's uh, it's Kind of what you said, uh, even though I, I like made fun of it and ripped it apart, which is the like you know like there's a difference between just like telling jokes on stage or being someone who's like I'm here because I have something I want to say or like I'm a certain person. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Brian Regan, he's Brian Regan and he's telling jokes. Like yeah. you like him because he's Brian Regan, right? And he's also telling jokes. Or like yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. He's not just telling jokes. He's Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. And he's telling jokes also. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. like, back then I was sort of just, like, I was writing jokes and I was telling jokes, but they were all sort of, I was just on stage to tell jokes. Um, and I think when you're a headliner, it's because you're like, I am this person. You know, I am Patton Oswalt. Yeah. And here are my jokes. Here's yeah. what I want to say or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, where... What do you want? What do you want to do with comedy? You just want to. Um, where, where do you see yourself going with it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just want to keep getting better, and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, I I want a headline. Sure. I want to have an act that I like, and that's about it. Uh, I know. Uh, listening to a lot of comics talk, uh, it's all about kind of building up the material uh -huh. um, in addition to you know other things but trying to get you know trying to get that first hour or what, of material uh -huh. where are you in that process Where's I have I have an hour but I've been at the point like I've had an hour for I mean even like uh, I've had an hour for a couple of years oh, wow. but I keep changing it you know what mm -hmm. I mean like three years ago I had an hour but it was a horrible hour <laughs> and so now I have an hour like, I just keep writing new jokes. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I, I, I write new jokes, but then I get rid of old jokes, too. Like, I'm still mm -hmm. at the state point where I'm writing jokes that I think are good, but then a year later I realize, oh, that joke's not very good. Mm -hmm. um, or, like, oh, that joke needs to be rewritten. Yeah. Or a year ago I didn't know how to perform that joke or stuff like that. 
So I think building the time is not even the hard part. It's like you can do an hour, but is it going to be an hour. awful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is it a quality hour? Yeah. Um, uh, you just said that um, you, you, you may write a joke, uh, but not have the ability to perform it for a year or something. Yeah. Uh, you may not perform it correctly. Can you talk about that a minute? Yeah, like I've written, uh, like I said, I still like, there's a lot, a lot of times like I'll tell a joke for a little while and then I realize like, oh, it's not a very good joke and I'll stop telling it. But I keep it in my book and maybe a year or two later I'll come back to it and just I reapproach it and I realize, oh, this is the way I should have told it. Mm -hmm. And now, like before a joke that like just did okay because I wasn't delivering it right, yeah. now I can deliver it better and it's partially like delivery but it's also partially writing you know like I just I just have a joke that uh, I used to tell and it was like okay it did like all right and mm. but I dropped it because it was just like okay and now I revisited it because I realized I had a portion in the middle that was tangential I was saying things that were like maybe funny but they weren't in line with the main point of the joke mm -hmm. and so it was it took away from its momentum it was a tangent so I cut that out. And then also the end was really soft. And back then when I wrote that, I was really into like soft endings because I hated like always ending like with a punch. Right. And so I was like, oh, I'll subvert the, you know, norm and have the soft ending and stuff. And so I realized like, look, just make, put, make the end be funny. <laughs> and so I just, but I think you can still do that, but you could disguise your punchline or you can make it unexpected or whatever. Okay. And then I also just I just perform a little more, like I used to perform less. I was I like I said I didn't want to perform because I'm like I'm not a clown. I'm not gonna. I refused. <laughs> refused to. I'm just gonna stand here and speak in a monotone. Um, and now I'm willing to perform a little more and act, yeah. act a little more and a little more open and comfortable. Yeah. So you'll do any chance you get. What's that? And you'll perform maybe any chance that uh, arises, or do you do you still kind of just uh. Oh, I didn't mean like I'm more open, like I'll perform. More. Oh, you'll just in, in the, okay, I gotcha. Like before I used to tell a joke, I didn't want to like act hammy by like right. acting up. Now you do. But now I'll act up because I'm like, look, if it's important with the joke, if gotcha. it makes sense, if it's, uh, I'll, you know. Gotcha. Okay. Um, how, you mentioned going back to, uh, back to jokes. Uh, how often would you say you go back to that book and look for... Look at, re, take a re-look at things. I don't go back too much. Yeah. It's just like if I remember something. So I don't, I don't go back too much. I don't actually go back and look at my old books too much. It's just if I can remember something, mm -hmm. I'll go back to it. Have you become a much... It sounds like you probably have. Um, become a much better editor of your own work? Uh, more, like more critical, I guess? Yeah. I think I've sort of learned more like what is my kind of joke or what are the kind of jokes I like to tell. And yeah. If there's a, a particular joke, how many times does it have to fail before you think that it's the joke and not the crowd that particular night or whatever? Um, I don't necessarily have a hard number. It really depends on the crowd. Like if a joke, like there's certain crowds, I'm just like, oh, this is not quite my crowd. So if they don't like the joke, I'm like, okay, well, they're, I'm not surprised. Yeah. You know what I mean? So but, after Johnstown, you didn't go home and... Uh, this, we got We we need a new forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. You can sort of tell because if you if you're doing the show and if you can see people who went on before you, 
you can sort of see what the crowd laughed at. And mm -hmm. if they laugh at a bunch of horrible shit, then you know, like, okay, well, yeah, I can't trust this crowd. Or th this crowd is not, they don't have, they didn't share the same taste as me. Mm -hmm. So you watch the crowd and see what other stuff they laugh at. That's the worst when you're sitting waiting to go on and the crowd's laughing at all these other comedians who are, you think are horrible and the crowd mm -hmm. loves them. Yeah. That's really hard. It poisons your mind against the audience. And that's when you go on stage with this look on your face like, I hate you. Yeah. And then, of course, the crowd's going to hate you because they can see you hate them. Yeah. You have, then you have no chance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that's all the main things I wanted to, uh, to cover. Uh, there are some questions that uh, some people asked. Okay. Uh, this is from Brendan Kennedy. Uh, he wanted to know if you consider yourself a more or less sensitive person than most, and if so, how does that inform your comedy? More or less sensitive? Sensitive. I guess as a human being, or maybe as a comedian on stage. That's a really hurtful question. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. It depends how I mean sensitive. I'm probably like normal sensitive. I don't think I'm oversensitive. Okay. Um, I think getting made fun of a lot was actually good for me. It made me a little more empathetic yeah. towards people. I think before that I, I was pretty callous. And now, because I got made fun of a lot, I try not to tell jokes where you're making fun of people. There's a lot of jokes where you're making fun of people. You're like, look at this idiot. Yeah. Look at this dumb dummy. What a dumb, <laughs> what a dumb person. Yeah. This dummy is so dumb. Unless they do it to you. What's uh, that? Unless they do it to you on stage, and then you'll... Oh, you're then <laughs> it's self-defense, then. Yeah, you are dumb. Yeah. But I hate jokes You are horrible people. You make fun of, like, homeless people or whatever. Like, come on. They, 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 they deserve to be made fun of. Yeah, Easy right. targets like that. Like, yeah. we make fun of old people or gay people or women. Um, I don't like that. Um, I try not to make fun of people. Okay. If I can. Is there anything else that you would uh, you generally avoid when you're you are crafting, crafting, writing? Uh, I try not to make fun of people if I, or I'll, I'll make fun of a specific person if I if there's someone like I know or something. But I try not to make fun of like strangers or groups of people. Um, I don't mind being dirty, but I hate like I just hate talking about stuff that's like been talked about a lot. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'd have to write a really good jerking off joke to tell it because you see so many comics talk about jerking off like yeah it, it, is it that in, we all do it is it that interesting um you know i try to talk about stuff that people aren't talking a lot about or like just different subjects yeah um your act uh when i saw it opening up for featuring with greg proops uh was yeah I didn't. I've, I haven't seen anything like it. It was pretty great. Well, cool. Thank you. Yeah. See, so, yeah, I just try to, like, like I'm not trying to be like alternative or weird. Like, there's lots of comedians that are more alternative than me. But I'm just, I just try to talk about, not necessarily your typical subjects. Yeah. But I mean, I still do because, a lot of the subjects people talk about because, they're universal experiences. They're really interesting. Like everybody's going to talk about relationships or, or marriage or things right. like that because we can all relate to that and it's. It is interesting. Yeah. Um, but, like, I have a joke where, where it ends up with uh, the punchline is, like, this guy sticks something up his ass, this gigantic cucumber. And I'm like, <laughs> I really try not to tell that joke because I like the joke, but I'm just like, oh, really? Like, I feel like that's such a, 
Uh, does it really have to end with him sticking a cucumber <laughs> up his ass? <laughs> okay. That one really bothers me. Uh, this isn't a question so much as uh, a statement uh, from Mark Leopold. Can you just apologize to him for the time he asked on stage what our favorite joke was, and I responded with his closer? I don't know that you would remember that. Wait, what happened? Uh, apparently, you were doing a show, and you asked someone what their fa- what their favorite joke was, and he responded with your closing joke, I guess. Doesn't sound familiar? I'm not ringing a bell. Oh, I think I was like, uh... Oh, I think maybe I was... Oh, there's a thing I do, like, sometimes where if I'm, I'm bombing, I'll say, uh... I'll say to the crowd, I'll be like, hey, uh, you know your favorite comedian? Uh, imagine their, their best joke. And then I stand there for a minute. Um, and I think he might have he screamed, astronaut ice cream. And I think I yelled at him. I was like, I'm not a jukebox! <laughs> I was like, fuck you, I'm not going to tell you. Yell out my joke. <laughs> Maybe I think that happened. And then afterwards he came up to me and he, he was like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, you know, like that's an instance where like sometimes someone will yell something out. Yeah. They're not trying to heckle you. Mm-hmm. They're actually like... Yeah. a fan or they're trying to, to talk to you or something but you just hear someone yell something so you're like screw you yeah. so I think that happens okay if, uh, if it did I'm very sorry <laughs> if it didn't I'm not sorry Alex J. Gross uh, ask him Hi, what Alex. he thought of yep hello Alex ask him what he thought of the Dead Milkman show on Friday it was great what, I'm not familiar with, uh, with that at all what is that uh, the Dead Milkman they're, they're a band from Philly and I loved them when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and um, you know they're old dudes now. And uh, I'd never seen them in concert before, and I loved it. Where were they playing? Blew my mind. Uh, Union Transfer. Okay. Who else? Uh, who else is on your playlist? I like Bob Dylan. Yeah. I like. Uh, I listen to different jazz, like bop, hard bop, like uh, Art Blakey or Jimmy Smith. I okay. love Jimmy Smith. Mm, enjoying Beach House's new album. This is from Jen Curcio. I don't know. Maybe she... I don't, do you know Jen? I might. I'm horrible with people. Ask him names. if he is really as mean as my college professor said he is. Who is her college professor? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm not that mean. Unless have you, she's... Have you taught before? I did teach. Maybe that's what she's talking about. I taught at uh, typography at Rome University, and I think I had a reputation for being kind of tough. Uh... <laughs> But I don't think unwarranted. I think look, it's graph design. It's not art. I mean, it's an art form. But there's a there's a right and wrong answer. Right. I mean, there's okay. Look, there's multiple <laughs> answers. You know what I mean? It is a it is still an art form. But part of it is critique, and it's a job where you're gonna have an art director, you're gonna have a creative director, and you're gonna have a client, and you're gonna have to take feedback from all of them. And they're not always gonna start their feedback by saying like, look, first of all. You're a beautiful, really talented person. And I like... It's not that I don't like this logo, okay? Like, they're not going to be nice. They're just going to be like, this sucks. Or like, make it bigger. Yeah. Or like, go kill yourself. Um, so I think during graphic design critiques, you, you shouldn't be rude, but at the same time, you shouldn't be worried about people's feelings. Yeah. If that's what she's referring to, I'm not sure. Probably. I think Jen does uh, some graphic design. Oh, okay. So that would make, make sense. It's great business. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you do that for, for Quirk, um, uh, and you did the, you said you did the cover for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, mm-hmm. uh, 
how how do you how do you get an idea for something like that? I guess the title helps. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that one was pretty easy because it's a mashup of they just took like the original text and then added zombies. So I was like, well, we should just take we should make the cover look like a a real Jane Austen book. Yeah. So um, I based the layout off of the Penguin Classics layout. Okay. Um, and then I just painted her as a zombie. I just painted the zombie <laughs> parts. Okay. It's really simple. Uh, it's my first idea. It's a pretty good one. This is a would you rather, which of these things would you rather do, okay. uh, from Brendan Elso, uh, skydiving or rock climbing? Oh, I uh, recently did rock climbing. Yeah? Where, where did you go? I did it at the, the rock climbing gym by Yards Brewery. <laughs> okay. And uh, I only got up halfway, and then you get to a certain height where your brain like knows like if you f if you go any higher and you fall you'll die, and I knew I wouldn't because they they have the harness on you but it right. was just too stressful for me it wasn't enjoyable yeah. so I came back down. Okay. Um, I used to fly uh, airplanes all the time. My dad and I used to fly ultralights. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. We used to wow. fly ultralights. So I would maybe be willing to do skydiving. Um, because of that, because it's weird when you're in an airplane, I, I wasn't scared of heights. But even though you're like 500 feet or 600 feet, but like when you're like 30 feet up, it feels higher. Yeah. I was also clinging to a wall. Um, <laughs> probably rather do ne neither. I'm not a very brave, like physically, I'm not a brave person. I don't like physical danger. Yeah. I, I don't know. Flying a plane is uh, pretty, pretty it's brave. Not, it's not too dangerous. You got the laws of. Uh, Aerodynamics. I mean, it's a, it's yeah, a machine. See, you're in there. You're fine. I like to think of myself as an intelligent person, but I still don't know how planes go. I mean, you could, it's evidenced by just that statement right there. <laughs> how do planes go? It has to do with air pressure. There is less pressure under the wing than there is on top of it because of the way wings are constructed. They're flat on the bottom and curved on top. Okay. And so there's lower air pressure underneath the wing, which lifts and it's you. just lifted. Okay. So okay. that the prop moves you forward and it creates a uh, lower pressure underneath the wing. That's what makes you go up. Okay. All right. Uh, now you know. Yeah. And now we know. And it's educational, too. There are probably some others that were wondering how planes go. <laughs> uh, Next question. How do planes work? <laughs> oh, we answered that one. All uh, right. Uh, what was... And this is, this is just a couple random uh, loose ends. Uh, what was one of your favorite shows? We talked about one of the worst at Johnstown, but what is a favorite you've done? Well, America's Got Talent has to be one of my favorites because that was so much, that was crazy. That was just insane, you know. Did you make it into another round of that? Yeah, I made it, I made it to the next round, which was Vegas, and then I made it to the next round, which was L.A., and then I got voted off, but then I got brought back by the judges, so I made it to the semis. Wow. See, I wasn't even aware. Because I, I, I don't do research for these, clearly. Why should you? Uh, yeah. Well, I, because I like, to, I like to generally, genuinely... We're here with Boogie Warner. <laughs> so, Boogie, you are a professional bowler. That is... Incorrect. Huh. Uh, I genuinely would like to get to know... Uh, the person and have it be a spontaneous conversation uh, rather than just prompts of because uh, like these what you're looking at here th these are just things I want to talk about they're mm -hmm. not uh, facts that I'm just like okay now talk about that mm -hmm. uh, so wow that's awesome that you made it that far in the competition yeah yeah 
And brought back, too. How, how did the bringing back happen? We got voted off uh, by, like, America. <laughs> and America has spoken. The country <laughs> that I live in, for now. Uh, and then the judges, though, they had a thing where they could bring back, each judge could bring back, I think, two contestants. Okay. So there were, like, six. Wow. It was, like, the wild card round. Yeah. And so I got brought back. And that's that was... And then America was like, no, we meant it, and they voted. For <laughs> like, yeah, Who yeah, did yeah. America, no. America vote for then? What's that? Who does America vote for? I got beat by um, Harmonica Pierre. Oh, Harmonica guy. <laughs> no, this was a different Harmonica guy. Oh, what? Multiple Harmonica guys. And he was, uh, I forget where he's from. He's like uh, Dutch or something. He was a lot of fun. He was always so happy. Yeah. And um, I remember we had a party in one of the hotel rooms. It was uh, Michael Grasso. He was one of the magicians, and uh, where I still hang out with. I love Michael. He's so he's so cool. And then it was uh, Yo-Yo uh, Mark. I forget Mark's last name. He was a Yo-Yo guy. And then Harmonica Pierre. I called him up. And I was like, Yo, Harmonica Pierre, come up. We're having a party. And he came up, and I was like, Yo, man, did you bring harmonicas? And he goes, But of course. And he reaches into his jacket. And he's got all these harmonicas just lined. And he played harmonica for like did, did a little mini concert for us. Uh, so where I, is I, he at? Now? Like, located. Oh, where, where does he, he live? live? Yeah. I think he lived in Phoenix. Oh, well. Something like that. Okay. But I get beat by him and these two contortionists, and I got beat by uh, Murray the Magician. Such an odd also, competition, because how do you... How do those things go head-to-head? It's so weird. What you do is you have 24 Indian girls come out <laughs> and dance, and, and there's a big spectacle with all the, you know, uh, stagecraft and a full band and stuff, and then I quietly... Walk to the microphone and go, oh boy, what's the this the deal with the <laughs> the squeaky wheel on the mug? Sorry, bye. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have any shows coming up? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be at the Trocadero on August seventeenth, uh, opening for Anthony Jeselnik. Very excited about that. Okay. Um, opening for. Pat and Oswald in September. Awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, he's great. In my hometown, Bethlehem. Always nice to be oh, in my hometown. Yes. Um, and I'm headlining a show there the night before that. And that's about, that's all I can think of. August is really slow for me. Okay. And you have a website, right? I have doogiehorner.com. Okay. You check that out. Does it have all that info on there? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. People, people always ask. Not always. But uh, every now and then, people ask, like, why don't you put your schedule up online? Um, it's just because my website... I just I got to do a new website. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, a, it's like a Flash website, and I don't mm-hmm. know Flash very well, so yeah. I can't update it easily. Um, and then also, I don't know if I care. About <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do too many shows. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I feel like it's sad when I'm like... Uh, August, and I got like yeah. one show, and then September, there's a half a show. Just click, keep clicking the the arrow into the next yeah, month. Yeah, next month, he goes, oh, there's a one in July, <laughs> nothing in June. Okay, uh, so Pat Oswalt in September? Yeah. In Bethlehem? Mm-hmm. And you're headlighting the night before? Yeah, and I'm doing the night before, and then the, the sh- Anthony Jeselnik show at the Troc, that's going to be fucking fantastic. He's yeah. so, he's, he's a killer. That's gonna be a I don't show. know. I don't know that I know him. 
You don't know Anthony Jeselnik? I, I, maybe not by the name. Oh, he uh, does. He has a unique name, so that seems weird that I wouldn't. He does like really dry one-liners, and they're very dirty. He's known for being okay. uh, very dirty, but he's one of the, the, the I think, the best like one-liner writers yeah. out there right now, like short joke guy. There's not too many that I know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Oh, there's yeah. Nick Thune. Nick, they're all obviously Nick Thune's really good too. Yeah. One of the ones I remember always is older now. Stephen Wright. Mm-hmm. Kind of does that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Dimitri Martin. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's all I've got for you. Do you anything else you want to you say? Now it's my turn to interview <laughs> you. Ha-ha! No. Shoes on the other hand now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much for, for giving me the time. And, no uh, problem. Yeah, thanks for getting close. You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't know there was a thing. Well, that will do it for another episode of the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast. Featuring Doogie Horner this time around, I hope you enjoyed it. I know that I did. I had a real good time chatting with him. Like I said, I'm sorry that that 15 minutes or so of Reagan Renaissance, Regan Renaissance rather, uh, was uh, idiotically cut out. Uh, My mistake, my bad, my fault. Um... I will not make that mistake again. Um, Yeah. I don't know who I have on the podcast next time around. There are some names floating around there, some people that I've approached, some people that have approached me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, people coming up and asking me. Um, Some Philly personalities, also some national um, names, uh, at least as far as people I know. Um, yeah, so that's it, I guess, for this, uh, for this episode. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for getting close.